The word of our Lord from the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Philippians. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look not for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those even under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now even more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you also shine as lights in the universe, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, And even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Now for this same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts, to our minds, to our very lives and selves. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. What does the world need? Most of us recognize that the world is in great need. In fact, this question itself, what does the world need, implies that there is need. Most of us recognize this need, though we sometimes can't quite put our finger on it, though we sometimes can't quite express it or comprehend it. We recognize around us, we recognize even in our very bones that the world is in deep need. The world is dark 
and cold. And we can sense that. The world is loaded down with brokenness, suffering, with pain, and with despair. We recognize that the world has great need. We recognize that there are people in our lives who have great need. And we recognize in their lives and in the lives of others sometimes recurring themes concerning those very same needs. Needs for others, for love, needs for acceptance, needs for help, needs for healing. Sometimes this need is seen in physical needs, but many times it's seen in relational needs and in emotional needs. In 1965, you are probably remembering that Jackie DeShannon told us that the wor- what the world needs now is love, sweet love. In 1994, one of my heroes, Chuck Colson, posed the question, where is the hope? And he continued his thought by saying, I meet millions of people who feel demoralized by the decay around us. The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws we pass or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country and that's where our hope is in life. Are the greatest hopes of the world met by this party or that party? This candidate, perhaps better candidates, or better leaders? Are the greatest needs of the world met by more education or perhaps better education? Perhaps we see needs around us and we see needs in the world and we look toward a better system of justice. Or we think that our hope might be in a more effective market, better opportunity for folks. Perhaps our hope would be in less government or more liberty. Please and thank you, we might say. The world needs more saints. You know it when you're around genuine saints, not put on saints, not folks who are convinced that they are saints, not folks who are convinced that they are the greatest gift to humanity. But you know it when you're around really saintly people. Tomorrow, Our streets will be filled with children dressed in costumes and walking from house to house and knocking on doors that have lights on out on the porch or perhaps a jack-o'-lantern on the 
on the steps and they'll be saying trick or treat and they'll be hoping for lots of wonderful candy. A Halloween is a shortened form of All Hallows' Eve, which was the day before All Saints' Day, an important day in the life of the church throughout the last several hundred years. It was a day to celebrate the saints of God, a day to celebrate those great men and women of faith who have gone before us, and in some ways, to celebrate those great saints of God who still are among us those who yet live. What does it mean to be a saint? If I'm going to propose that the world needs more saints, well, what does that mean? To be a saint is to be holy. To be holy. And I'm convinced that the world needs holy men and women living real lives in the real world with a real relationship with a holy God who know how to live in fellowship with one another, who know how to care for the poor, who know how to do great works of mercy and love in the name of Jesus Christ. Those types of people are what the world most pressingly need. What does it mean to be holy? That's an important question. We hear the term holy, we hear the term holiness often. And sometimes we're a bit confused on what it means to be holy. What, what is holiness? And really there are at least three layers or dimensions of this word holy in the scriptures. There is a categorical dimension. To be holy is to be different. It is to be peculiar as we remember the text telling us. A peculiar people. It is in some ways to be other God is the Holy One. He is categorically different than anything else we have encountered. He is peculiar. He is wholly other than the world that He has made. He is not a part of it. He is separate from it. And in this categorical dimension, there is a a measure of being not sinful. It is to be other, not common, not sinful. But there's also an ethical dimension of holiness. To be holy, to declare that God is holy. When God revealed Himself to Israel as a holy God, He was not simply saying that He is separate from the world or different from His people. He revealed His holy character to them. The holy God is ethically different. To 
To be holy is to be characterized by certain behaviors. And by necessity, it is also to be characterized by the lack of certain behaviors. You see, there's a positive element to holiness. Holiness is not just lack of sin. Holiness is not just otherness. It is, it is, a, it is positively for certain things. Because God is holy, He does not lie. Because God is holy, He loves. Because God is holy, He relates to the world in gracious and merciful ways. Which brings in the third dimension of holiness, which is a relational dimension. It's hard to talk about ethics apart from talking about relationships because typically our ethics relate to other people. You know, how do you interact when you realize the bank gave you too much money back? How do you how do you act When someone crosses you. When you're treated unfairly. There is this relational dimension of holiness which was so concerning of Yahweh in the Older Testament for His people to relate to one another in a holy way. There is a a holy way to treat the elderly among you. There is a holy way to treat outsiders among you. There is a holy way to treat others. And summed up quite simply, this relational dimension of holiness is about other-oriented self giving love unfortunately Tom's not here he would have whispered amen when I said that he loves that phrase other oriented self giving love that is the sum total of holiness in its relational dimension to be holy is to live for others And to live for others is to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your energies, to give of your finances, to give of of your concern. To live for another is to give away yourself. And the world needs people who are willing to live for others who are willing to pour out their energies to pour out their time to pour out their pocketbooks into the lives of others who are in need others who are broken others who don't know what faithfulness is because no one's ever been faithful to them who don't know what this type of love is who think it's awkward because no one's ever been so concerned about them 
our nation and our world need communities of people who are so enthralled with the love of God that that love spills out into their relationships with one another and that that love spills out into the way that they interact in their communities. That's how you change the world. That's how you make a difference. The good news is that anyone can be a saint. So why not us? Paul says, let this mind, this way of thinking, this attitude toward life, toward the world, toward others, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. He says even further. That they have the opportunity to become blameless and harmless. To live as children of God without fault. In the midst of brokenness or crookedness of perverseness. In the midst of a world, of a generation. In the midst of a community that is broken. Broken relationally, broken ethically, broken to its very core. He says, among whom you are to be shining as lights in the universe. In the world that God has created, you are to be glowing with the love of Christ. Does God not want to remake us in His image? Is God not able to remake us in His image? The God who formed us out of the dust of the ground. The God who breathed into us His very life-giving Spirit. The God who said, let us make man in our image. The God who made us male and female in His image. Does He not care about that image? And can He do nothing to restore that image? If there's nothing lacking on God's end, then there must be something lacking on our end. Or else, we'd see a whole lot more living saints among us. So why aren't there more saints? Why aren't more of us saintly, holy? Well, a couple of reasons that I think of is that first, we don't think we can be. We say, oh, it's impossible. Nobody can live like that. Nobody's perfect. Don't expect anything from me. We might even double down and say, next time you think you're perfect, try walking on water. As though to 
have an ability to do the miraculous is proof of whether or not a heart has been changed. We don't think we can be. Perhaps we don't think we're good enough. Or we don't think we're special enough. We hear the word saint and we are intimidated. I'm, I'm no Francis of Assisi. I'm not like John Wesley. Don't look for Irenaeus or Athanasius in this direction. We think we are beneath sainthood. That it's high and lofty. For the elite. Perhaps there aren't more saints among us because we don't really want to be saints. The cost is too great. We hear Paul say, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And our immediate thought is, wait, wait a minute, but what about me? What about what I want? What about what was done to me? What, what about the fact that that person owes me? That person hurt me? I can't let that go. Perhaps the cost of, of giving up sin in our life is too great. Sure, sin is fun for a while, but it always breeds death. And it always destroys everything that it touches. But typically, the cost that's too high, it is, it's not about sins that we want to keep. It's about the self that we want to keep. It's typically self that gets in the way of holiness. It's typically self that gets in the way of us becoming saints. We don't want to lose ourselves. We want to cling to ourselves and cling to our rights and cling to our wants and cling to our desires. And we're so scared of losing. But the world needs saints. The people in your life need you to be made holy. The people in my life need me to be made holy. And holiness, again, is not just the absence of this thing or the absence of that other thing. Holiness is about love. It is about 
character. It is about relationships. And so interestingly enough, love and character and relationships is how we start to become saints. We start to become saints by being around others who are holy. Namely, God and His people. How do I start becoming holy? Get into where the holiness is. How do you get bathed? You get into where the bathing takes place. You get into the tub. How do you get to the place where saints are being made? You get to the one who makes those saints and you get to where there are examples of those saints around you. God and His people. That's a a first small step toward becoming saints. But we also start to become saints by being beginning to orient our lives toward others. And that sounds big, that sounds huge, but it ought to start small. It ought to start close. If you think of concentric circles, we begin to reorient our lives toward others, starting with our family. Starting with those most intimate of relationships in our lives is where we begin to orient our lives toward others. Otherwise, we, we really don't. We simply try to give a little bit here and give a little bit there and we're still finding that life is a mess. Or we give ourselves to everyone other than the ones that God has placed so closely to our lives. And so we start reorienting our lives toward others with our families. Husbands not being concerned for their own interests, but for the interests of their wives. I remember when Lindsay and I were getting married, she had a, uh, a doctor. Lindsay, what was the doctor's name, your pediatrician? Hall. Dr. Hall. Dr. Hall. I, I ought to remember that. I've heard his name a thousand times. Uh, I, I knew her pediatrician before we got married, but he showed up at our wedding. And I remember Dr. Hall gave me some advice when we were getting married. He said, he said look, I've been married a long time. He said, find what makes her happy and provide it. Whatever it is, find what makes her happy and provide it. Now that may seem silly, and and that could be something huge, that could be something small. But what that began to do for me is to realize that I'm getting married and that's not about me. That's about her. The good news is that if I'm living for her sake and she's living for my sake, neither of us have to selfishly be worried with ourselves, worried about who's going to meet my needs and who's going to take care of me and how am I going to be sure to be happy. 
relationships work best when they're not 50-50, but when they're 100-100. Your best friendships are the ones that you're able to do for that friend and not worry about whether or not they're going to do for you. And that sort of love begins to become contagious. Yeah, there'll be some times where you are pouring yourself out for a friend and that love is never reciprocated. And that hurts. And that frustrates. But that's got to be given to God and say, Lord, check my heart. I want to love them not so that I can feel good, not so that I can get love in return, not so that they'll do what I want them to do. Lord, I want to love them for pure and holy reasons. But that love begins to be contagious. When, when you and I get to the place where we're living for someone else's sake, we start to find that others are catching on and begin living for others' sake. And so we start with those closest of relationships. We start with family. We start with friends. And we move outward toward others. We start to love our neighbors in a way that's different. We start to pour ourselves out and being more concerned for our coworkers than for ourselves. We get to the place where we're able to help someone else, even if it means that I'm not being helped right now. I'm helping others get to the place of blessing, get to the place of favor. See, again, you can't separate holiness from relationships. It's all about relationships. There is no privatized holiness where it's just about me. In fact, that's the antithesis of holiness. Holiness is not about me. And we start to become saints by allowing our relationships to begin transforming our lives, to begin transforming the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave. When those relationships begin to actually define our lives and shape our lives and transform our lives, we may not realize, hey, I'm becoming a saint. We may not realize, and we probably ought not realize, hey, I'm really becoming quite something here. See, holiness and love, when they become self-aware, they, they become toxic. But what we'll find is when our relationships begin to transform the way we think, the way we live, the way we act, when they begin to transform our lives, others begin to notice that person's quite different. That Todd guy, I've never met anyone like him. 
that Christy, she's something different. Never seen anyone pour themselves out and just live for others like that. Paul says that he is being poured out or even if I'm being poured out, even if I'm at the end, even if my life is is wearing down to its last days, for your sake, he says, I am glad and I rejoice with you. And he invites the Philippians, now come and for that very same reason, be glad and rejoice with me. Saints are joyful. They know how to rejoice. It was the martyrs of the church who sang hymns as they were bound to fires and their bodies were being set as torches. They sang hymns of praise. The church throughout history has been known not for its stiffness, not for its seriousness. It has been most greatly known for its joy, for its gladness. Joyful saints will change the world. That's what the world needs now. It needs you and it needs me to be filled with the love of God, to be changed, to live for one another, and to begin pouring ourselves out into the world around us. That'll change the world. And that's the change that the world needs. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would prick our hearts, that you would get our hands off of our lives, get our thoughts off of ourselves, and fill us with your all-consuming love. We pray that you would take all of us, all that we have and all that we are, and make it holy. Lord, use us to change the world. Change us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.